88.1 WHOV welcomes you to the Pastor's Study. The Pastor's Study in your church or any church is a place where the pastor goes to collect his thoughts, hear from God, study God's Word, and develop ideas and thoughts on what direction the church needs to take in leading others to Christ. The Pastor's Study is where the road to salvation is paved and the mysteries of the Bible revealed. The Pastor's Study on WHOV is a talk show that allows you, the listener, to come inside to find out more about the ministers of the gospel in the area and the good works they're doing across the region, the nation, and the world. Now here's your host, Pastor Kevin Swan of Ivy Baptist Church in Newport News, Pastor Ray Johnson, and Pastor John Young of Empowered Believers Christian Learning Center. The Pastor's Study is now open to the public, so come on in and find out God's plan for your life and His people. What's good, everybody? Welcome to the Pastor's Study here on Smooth 88.1, WHOV, iHeartRadio, and of course, we're live on Facebook, and we're glad to have almost the entire band. Let me start with who's not here. Bishop Ray Johnson is out. Congratulations to him and his wife celebrating a wedding anniversary, so he's out doing his thing. Congratulations to the Johnson family. But we got the rest of the crew that is with us today. We got Commonwealth Attorney, City of Hampton, Anton Bell is with us. We know him as Pastor Law. We got Dr. Alvian Lyons, doctor, because she got two of them things. And we, we appreciate all the hard work that we work to get her through. Then we got Delegate Marcia Price of the 95th, who is in the house. Welcome, Delegate Price. And last but not least, Jason Covington, our great producer extraordinaire, who always is holding it down. So, y'all, you know, um, we, we pride ourselves on talking about, you know, the latest topic and subject. And, uh, you know, we don't, no topic is off limits with our show. But it seems that there is a topic that has caused some great concern within the African-American community in the sports world. And that is um, with Deion Sanders. And uh, for those who may not know who Deion Sanders is, uh, he was first a well-known NFL football player and baseball player. Hall of Fame football player, one of the greatest to ever do it, played cornerback, uh, and then also played baseball at the same time. So two-sport athlete, uh, very rare, successful professional athlete. And recently, he went into coaching at the collegiate level. And, and so Jackson State University, a historically black college in Mississippi, um, he coached there for three years, went 27 and 5. Um, took the team to not one, but two Southwest Athletic Conference, Athletic Conference uh, championships. Very, very successful. Well, here comes Colorado University, which is a predominantly white institution. And they offered uh, Coach Prime, as he calls himself, the head coaching position. And he has now subsequently left Jackson State uh, to now coach Colorado University. This has caused a lot of people to call him a sellout and all kinds of reactions within our community about him leaving to go to Jackson State. So, you know, we got to talk about this show. So before I get started, I do want to make sure that everybody understands our own personal academic background and where we went to school to provide context to this conversation. So, Alvin, I'm going to start with you. Where did you get your degrees from? Okay, so I did my undergraduate at Hampton University, so HBCU. I did my master's degree at the College of William and Mary, so PW University. Yep. Uh I did my first doctorate in seminary, which was Andersonville, which is also 
PW. And then mm-hmm. I did my second doctorate back at HU. So I did an HBCU sandwich. Okay. And I'm the child of two HBCU graduates. They graduated from Howard University. So, okay. and, and so like it's a, the HBCU is a whole thing inside of our family. All right. And so you can speak from both sides because you also got William and Mary and Andersonville mixed in. Delegate Price, tell us, please. So for undergrad, I went to the Spelman College. For my <laughs> first master's, I went to Howard University. And for my second um, master's, I started at Howard University, but I ended up at Virginia Union University. And I would also like to add, I am actually fifth generation HBCU graduate. Okay, very good. All HBCU love. All right, Commonwealth Attorney. Um, I got my undergrad in political science at Norfolk State University, uh, behold, uh, and I got my law degree from North Carolina Central University, uh, so I'm an eagle as well, and I'm also legacy Norfolk State. My mom got both her bachelor and her master's degree from Norfolk State, and a slew of my relatives went to Norfolk State, graduated from Norfolk State, and got both bachelor and master's degree from there, and my son is telling me he wants to go to Norfolk State. So I am HBCU and green and gold all the way through. All right, HBCU love again. Jay, tell us, man, your background. You already know, undergrad at Hampton University. I did my master's program at the real Hampton University. So HBCU right here, baby. All right, so, so everybody on here, comes and has experience in HBCU or graduate of an HBCU, except for me, okay? So my background was um, I got an athletic scholarship. I finished at Old Dominion with my bachelor's in counseling. And also at the time that I was playing, I started my master's degree. So I have a bachelor's and master's degree from ODU. Um, And then my doctorate is from South Florida Theological Seminary. So that was also a PWI. So my experience educationally is not through an HBCU. So I want to start with that because I know that when I've had this conversation about DR um, and talking about HBCUs and, and all of that, what I get is there is just a difference within the HBCU community that you have to go to one to understand and appreciate what it is like. And so I want to make sure I put that out there. So for you all who are all HBCU alums, hearing that Dion left the HBCU to go to a PWI, um, for some in the for many in the HBCU community, they were deeply hurt and offended because they wanted him to stay, build up not only Jackson State but also potentially build up other HBCU programs to where now black kids at the elite level would not go to PWIs, but maybe stay and go to HBCUs to uplift the HBCUs, give them more financial exposure, build credibility, et cetera. So what are your thoughts personally, as an HBCU alum for all of you, Dion leaving Jackson State to go to Colorado? Tan, I'll start with you, sir. So I... um... (laughs) I have... have... Stop laughing at me, Sia. I have mixed emotions. Um, So let's start with the part that um, the ones who are offended. 
I, I can relate to that. I'm not offended. Let me just put that out there. First of all, I am not offended at all, but I do understand why they may feel uh, deeply hurt by his departure, because here we have uh, a person who was not just the face of Jackson State, but he had become the face of HBCU uh, athletics, uh, particularly football. And never before in the history of HBCU had you ever had ESPN game day uh, at that at HBCU college. And so winning all the accolades and getting the attention and now getting the money and the players of high quality uh, that would normally go to a predominantly white institute. Now they're coming to HBCUs, particularly Jackson State. You are now saying, okay, well, maybe the tide is turning and our young men and women who are normally recruited by predominantly white universities may now consider going to an HBCU and still have the opportunity and the same probability of going pro if they're good enough to go pro. However, let me flip that coin. So I guess I'm Ray on this on this particular program. <laughs> I got to flip that coin because the man was making what I think three hundred thousand dollars. Three hundred thousand. Three hundred, and and they offered him five million. Five million a year. So let me just keep it real with y'all. Let somebody <laughs> offer me five million dollars. She's looking at me because she's elected official. <laughs> Elected, elected <laughs> official. But I'm just keeping it real with y'all. Five million dollars. <laughs> I got a family that I got to feed and I got a household that I got to take care of. That's a lot of money to be. That's that's generational wealth. Yeah, that's that's just keep that real. Yeah. We don't talk about generational wealth in the black community the way uh, predominantly white communities or people that's not of color talk about it. But when you have that kind of money that you're making every year, that's a game changer generationally. And so when you're presented with that type of opportunity, it's kind of hard to walk away from that. And, and even if your heart and your commitment might be to that organization and to that school, you still got to think about the fact that I'm a dad, I'm a husband, and I'm a potentially, I'm a grandfather. And the Bible says that a wise man leaves an inheritance, an inheritance for his children's children. So I got to think about when am I able to leave from my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren? And this may be an opportunity that we all know, guys, we don't get this type of opportunities uh, every time we turn around. And so I can't be mad at him for taking that opportunity. And I can't see him as a seller. What I see him as a person saying, this is a game changer for my family and I'm choosing my family first. And I can't be mad at that. All right. So Alvin, um, to Tan's point, two questions for you. One, what is your response to Dion leaving as an HBCU alum? And then number two, some people say, well, Dion didn't really have to leave to take more money because he already has money, right? He's, <laughs> he's rare because he's already a multimillionaire. In fact, of the 300000 that he was making at Jackson State, he donated about 120000 of that to help with the facilities and, and building up the campus and athletic fields. And so he, so some would argue he didn't need the money if that was the reason for why he wanted to go. So what was your, what's your reaction on him leaving and how do you respond to that? Well, see, I think that it's unfair for us to expect 
our communities to always take it on the chin, to always have to sacrifice, to always have to be the martyr. You know, like, I think that's an unfair level of pressure to give to anyone. You know, I also find it, particularly as a business owner, I find it very interesting how people want to tell you how much money you need and don't need. You know, like how how you gonna decide for me what I need? You know, like oh, I, she don't need that money. She she living real good. You have no idea what vision I have for my life, for my children's life. You have no idea what vision I have for my community because the fact that he was already donating a hundred a third of his salary, more than a third if we're gonna be technical, but a third of his salary salary to invest in the college. Imagine now when you're de- dealing with five million. He, for all you know, he could be sending $2 million back to the university to be able to make a difference. But we're already making a decision about who he is and what he should have done for $300,000. You know, like we, this is not even competitive. We're not even talking about, you know, oh, it's a $50,000 difference. We're not talking $100,000 difference, which is serious money. You know, like we are talking more than 10 times the amount of money, more than 12, we could keep going. I mean, like this, there's a huge difference between this. And I understand that there is such a coming from the HBCU experience and there's nothing like it. You know, I'll be honest, there is nothing like going to an HBCU. What it does for your psychology, what it does for your identity, what it does for, it's, it's almost like a social and emotional quotient that you get inside of these spaces. Hear me when I say it is absolutely a must. I sent both of them, two out of the three of my kids um, went to HBC, went to Hampton to be specific. Um, so like, it's not my, it's not about my love for it, but I know, I know HBCU professors that end up having to leave HBCUs because they're not making enough money to be able to do the things that they want to do for the long haul. I also know that part of the experience in an HBCU is learning patience with the runaround, learning how to deal with things falling apart in front of you. Watch, I mean, there's there's part of that experience too. It's not all, you know, peaches and cream, y'all. So I know a lot of administrators who've had a very tough time inside of those experiences. So it's not like this is some cakewalk. He was he was giving a lot to the program. When is when is enough enough? You know, like when when are we not asked to do more and to give more? And the, the poor boy got robbed while he was there. I mean, I'm just saying, like, it has not been perfection, y'all. And that's not even why he's leaving. He wasn't even leaving because of some of the things that he experienced. He's leaving because he did his job and then he got an incredible offer. And we don't know what his vision is for that offer. So I, you know, I, I am not mad at him at all. I do not begrudge any of our people for having incredible opportunities, utilizing them, I would say, have a vision for your community with that opportunity. But I, I absolutely am not, I, I, I'm fine. I am 100% fine. Okay. If you're just tuning in, we're having a conversation about Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, who uh, was the head coach at Jackson State University football team, was very successful for three seasons did a lot for the school, did a lot for the profile of HBCU football in general, has now accepted a head coaching job at Colorado University, predominantly white institution. And many people are up in arms about his decision to leave. 
And so we're having this conversation today and we want you to drop your comments in the Pastor Study Facebook feed. We'd love to hear and see what you have to say. So Delegate Price coming to you, uh, you know, most, take your situation, for example, you know, you're doing the groundwork in the community with VA Block. Um, it's hard to imagine you coming out of your community going to another, but that's how some people are equating what Dion has done. The expectation maybe for some people is that um, you got to stay, right? Stay to help build up. And, and you have done that. Do you see what Dion has done? Do you take offense to what Dion has done in terms of leaving the HBCU community and, and moving on to, to what he considers greener pastures? So I'm not, I wouldn't say I was offended, but I definitely have feelings. Um, I, I was upset. I was. I was upset because it was just like, we we just got it going. And then it was like, they got the rug pulled out from under them. But anytime I have a really strong emotional reaction to something, I always have to sit myself back and say, why am I responding that way, right? And I love the fact that I came back home. I knew I was coming back home after, you know, you know getting the masses and everything. But what I'm upset about is actually the fact that things are such that that's what we need, right? I'm upset at inequities that lead to historic underfunding of HBCUs such that we are congratulating government for funding more at historic levels, which is still being underfunded. Right. And so I'm upset at that. I'm upset that that we don't have the type of alumni giving, um, even from those that can. Um, when you look at the percentages of folks that are giving back to their um, their HBCUs after everything that Alvian said, we get from the experience. If we don't turn around and give back into it, we are never going to get to a place where we are competitive. Right. So I feel like there's some personal responsibility on that. And I hear I definitely hear generational wealth I definitely hear taking care of his family but I'm also like ugh, kind of disgusted at the wealth differential between the people that are calling my office because they're about to get evicted and then thinking about like him taking five million dollars it, it's just you know I got I have feelings about it but I mean I get it I understand you got to do what you got to do but I do feel the sense of community because I, I feel like if we keep leaving, we're never going to get to that place where it's not as important for you to stay because we've kind of come up. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Jay, coming to you, man. Same question. You're an HBCU alum. Um, everybody else has talked about the impact. Educate me. Um, how do you see this situation as far as Dion is concerned, being an HBCU alum? For me, I think... I love what Dion said. He personified it at the press conference. He said, my call is not based upon a uh, location. It's based upon a destination. And I, I was reminded, I had a conversation with one of um, my mentors who has obtained his doctorate. And he said, hey, what do you want to do next in life? And he was speaking more to a destination versus where I currently am. And I think as a community, we have to embrace destination versus locations. Um, I'm happy for Dion. Um, I, you can't can't really be mad at what he's doing because he said what he was going to do, what he was going to do from the onset. When he got hired at Jackson State, he said, "Hey, I'm gonna come here, and if and when a J five or D five school 
calls me, I'm going to take that offer. And then ultimately, Dion wants to also be in the NFL. Is like what, I, what my sister just said, it's problematic that we at, in the HBCU light can't just go from HBCU, HBCU to something else. We have to go through steps. But it's even so much, even in the professional world, what we do, what we do. Um, we can't, unless we're tremendously blessed, we can't just go from graduating from college all the way up to the boardroom. We got to go through so many steps. So I think as a people, we should really celebrate what Dion has accomplished because Dion did something in Jackson State that no one has done. You know, with all the hate, all the animosity, this, I think what really takes people off is because Dion, he, I don't think it's arrogance. I think it's confidence, but it could be argued that he's arrogant. He tells he shoot he calls his shot before he shoot it and he makes it every time. And I think where he is with Colorado, I mean he called that. So for us to be upset, I mean you can be mad, but at the end of the day, if anybody that's on this show or that's watching this show, listening to this show, if someone came and say, I'm gonna give you five million dollars to do what you love to do, I don't care how much you love where you are. I already told y'all, if I get that phone call, when you call me, you may hear. Woo, woo, woo. I have changed my phone number because I'm what I do is not based upon a location. I'm talking better than what you what you're listening to. It's, it's based upon a, defini- a destination. Now, if I can go to, to uh, Pastor Charlie, it's both and. I could be angry and I could be happy. I could celebrate. I could tear him down because I'm Bishop Ray Johnson and I'm a lane. The, I'm a land of plane right here. All right. So Yo. again, uh, I'm the only one. That's not an HBCU alum. So I want to ask this. I want to ask this question to you all. And Marcia, you touched on this, but I want to hear from all of you. Maybe you can help me. So it, it seems to me that from the HBCU community, there was a a great a greater expectation of Dion staying than perhaps other coaches in the HBCU community. Is that fair to say? Okay, so if he would have stayed, what did what was your expectation of him? What would what did you want him to do by staying as opposed to leaving? Can can somebody answer that for me? Well, I mean, I'll I'll just jump in and just say what because I I think I was very transparent. It was an emotional response. I didn't think that far because I was just mad that it seems like when everybody comes up, they leave. And and it was just kind of my emotions were playing into that narrative that it once you make it, you're supposed to stay. So I I didn't even think about what his next step was gonna be. And honestly, I didn't even think about this from him individually, but the the narratives and the the patterns that we often see. See, because I, I I'll be honest with you. Um you could argue that historically that's been the challenge of the black community not just Dion. Absolutely. Once integration took place, black people left the hood mm-hmm. and went to live with white people mm-hmm. because that was their, in their mind, a sense of, I have arrived, right? So is it that, is, is it that still playing itself out in, in 2022 that, you know, the successful ones don't stick around and they always go to the, to the white place. Is, is that, this narrative that we're seeing here? 
let me flip that corner a little bit because there may be some of that there. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily in this particular situation, but the other piece that you you can't deny is the opportunity. Let's say this. Let's say that he could have gone to another school that was an HBCU and they would have paid him that quality uh, or that quantity of money. If he had gone to that school, we wouldn't be having that conversation. Then the conversation would be more geared towards, well, Dad, you dropped Jackson State for money. It would probably be around that conversation or that, or that, that issue. But it would not be an issue of, I feel like he disappointed the Black community or I feel like he disappointed uh, our race or, our, you know, or, yeah, that he just disappointed us or he dropped us, he rejected us for another race. And so I, I think that we have to be mindful of the fact that we don't get those type of opportunities on a regular basis. And yeah, you may say, well, he's already rich. So what if he's already rich? You ain't paying his bills. And so you don't know what his dad is. You don't know what he's trying to do. You don't know. He might be trying to set up a foundation and you can't set up a foundation with just $300,000 and do it at the level that he may want to do it. And so getting $5 million a year and maybe an opportunity to go and coach in the NBA and get even more to be able to set up a foundation at HBCUs so that they can be able to have more opportunities. We don't know that. We, we have no clue. Like, for instance, I told you, if you gave me five million, I'm out of peace. But you don't know the fact that I want to set up a H, I want to set up a foundation and I want to be able to send just as many black men to college oh. as I've sent to prison. Yeah. I can't do that on a salary that I make. And yeah. so I want to impact my community. And so when you have a heart that you want to impact your community, you do it the way you feel like God's giving it to you. And so it takes money to be able to make a difference the way you want to do it on a grander scale. And so my thing is we have to be careful about judging him simply because he went to a white school. Because I think it was Al that said, we don't know the vision that he may be trying to execute. And because of that, mm -hmm. I can't judge him. And, we, and when we say that he doesn't need the money, yes, I understand that to most people, being a multimillionaire is a ton of money, but like, he's not a billionaire. He's not a hundred millionaire. His net worth is listed at 45 million. So you're talking about an offer that is more than 10% of your net entire net worth every single year. That's significant. Inside of three years, he's already increased his net worth by 33%. So what you're able to do with that kind of money is very different. I do understand the emotional reaction that is that people of color have. I get that. I get who we are. We're passionate about things. But let's let's be honest. I mean, like if if we were looking at someone, let's say for instance, and whatever vision Sia has for her life, this my statement is not about her in that kind of way. But if Sia is serving, hypothetically speaking, I'm going to isolate it, Newport News. And predominantly an area in Newport News that happens to be heavily marginalized, okay? And her compensation inside of that is $50,000. But Sia gets the opportunity because of her incredible work inside of that space. She is elevated up to a senator level. She earned her way there. 
She's up to a senator level. Now her compensation is quite different and she's making decisions that impact marginalized communities across the state. And then if, if you were talking about her elevating from there and, and God has elevated her, her to vice president of the United States, now she's talking across the United States. And while none of this may be her vision, she didn't sell out because she decided to serve greater and greater and greater. That her whole calling is not only to black people. You know, like, so the idea that we're, as people of color, that we are only called to lead and improve the lives of black people in a small spectrum, I think is limiting in that we are, a lot of times we look at these universities and we're like, there's not a single head black coach. There's not a single black president of these predominantly white universities. There's not a single. So every time you take a person of color who's been able to move from an HBCU and end up leading, this person is an incredible leader, be it sports or otherwise, to a completely mainstream environment, that is something that we don't get a chance to do very often. We are often left in just a small box where if you look like us, you get to lead the us. But if you look like this, you don't get to lead people that don't look like this. So the, the idea that this man has done so well that he can lead because he's a great athlete, period, I don't think that should be held against him. And I would not hold that against him any more than Sia being elevated to a place where she is compensated for what she's actually valued at, despite the fact that it means that she has to come out of a community that may love her very much. But you could do it with 10 people, or you could do it with 10 million, but it doesn't change her heart. You know, like, so I'm just saying, I think it's unfair. But yeah, and, and I agree with all of that. And, and allow me to indulge, allow me for a moment to, to talk from my perspective, because the one, while I'm not an HBCU alum, what I am that no one else is up here is a college student, former college student athlete. So I understand how this works. So let's, let's do some facts for a moment. Number one, Dion is not an HBCU alum. Right. Dion with the Florida State University. Okay, so let's let's put that in context. Um, Dion was a high school coach looking for a college opportunity. Mm-hmm. None of the schools were w- willing to take a chance on Dion at the collegiate level, except for Jackson State. Jackson State said, "You come in. We're a fledgling program. We're looking for notoriety." Some We'll take a chance on you. Dion accepted the offer. You can say whatever you want about his money. You can say whatever you want about his social media presence, all of that. He is not at Colorado because of any of that. He's at Colorado because he went 27 and five right. in three seasons. Right. There's no other coach in the country at any level that has a better record than Deion Sanders at 27 and five. See, what, what people don't understand is that college athletics is business mm-hmm. because of money, mm-hmm. okay? That's all this is, and I have seen it. I've seen it from the player side where players don't get access to money. You, I walk into the bookstore when I was in school. I see my jersey in the bookstore. I don't get any profit off of the student that bought my jersey 
but they're wearing my jersey and they pay for it while I'm at the game. See, y'all got to understand how this thing works. So Dion goes to Jackson State, $300,000, and he builds up the program. They go 27 and 5. That's the only reason why a PWI is interested in him. Now he elevates to $5 million. That's, that's number one. Number two, 70% of all student athletes at every school in the country in football and basketball are black. So this notion that Dion cannot help black kids any longer right. because he's going to a PWI is absolutely ridiculous. Right. That's number two. Number three, Dion has a son. His son was the star quarterback at Jackson State University. He won Offensive Player of the Year for the SWAC Conference. Dion has gone on record to say he should have won, he should be in consideration for the Heisman. He had that kind of season. But we all know his son will never get Heisman consideration at Jackson State. Whether we like that or not, that's not going to happen. So he goes to Colorado. He tells his son, everybody there, my son's going to be the starting quarterback. Could he have gone perhaps also not just for himself, but to put his son in a, in a better, more exposed position for his son to reach the professional ranks? I think when we look at all of this, what we got to realize is, is this. Hampton University has changed conferences twice in the last five years. The only reason they have changed conferences out of the MEAC, which was predominantly black, then they went to the Big South, which was predominantly white, to now they're in the Colonial Athletic Association, which is predominantly white, is because unfortunately, HBCUs don't have the television revenue dollars that allow athletic programs to succeed. Mm -hmm. So HU had to make a decision. Are we going to depend on the ticket sales of our games? Which, by the way, if you look at, if you look at the games, most games, football games and basketball games, and as I have seen in the HBCU community, and some people might be hot at me for saying this, HBCU Athletic events are more entertainment. They're more events. They're not there to support the team. So depending on who you play, Hampton plays Howard, it's going to be a sellout. <laughs> Hampton plays Norfolk State, it's going to be a sellout. If Hampton plays some white school, you're not going to get a good attendance. So Hampton has to make a decision. How do we survive in college athletics when it depends on who the team is playing, whether or not fans are sure. Huh. But they'll be outside of the game. Music playing, food going on, everybody having a good time, but nobody paid to go inside. But you got 55 scholarships or 85 scholarships that you got to pay for. Y'all do the math. 85 scholarships at Hampton University. How much is tuition? $42,000 a year. Yeah, so I, I was happy to offer it. I was, I was ready. I would wait for that question. Yeah. <laughs> so 85 scholarships at $42,000 a year. Yep. That's for one program. Yeah. We ain't talk basketball. We ain't talk tennis. We ain't talk softball because we also know 
that the two main revenue generating college sports is football and basketball. So if you're losing in football, how are you going to pay for the rest of it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So these are the realities that athletic directors at HBCUs have to deal with. Last thing I would say, the greatest challenge of HBCU coaches is they know they are pigeonholed. It's hard for them to break through and get promoted outside of HBCUs to PWIs. It rarely happens. Dion was one of the rare ones to be able to break through because it doesn't happen any other way. So on one hand, maybe I'm looking at it like, finally, an HBCU coach got the respect that they deserve and got promoted to a PWI and can show what he can do with the hope now, because Dion is going on record to say one of the reasons he took Colorado is to bring light to the fact that in the power five schools, the big money white schools, there are only four black head coaches. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that he said in his press conference at Colorado is, I'm not just here for me, but I want to shed light on the fact that there are other black coaches who deserve an opportunity like me. Mm-hmm. So if he goes to Colorado and does well, could that then potentially open the door for other ADs at other white schools to say, we need to hire more black coaches who can then take care of the black players who are on their campus. Mm -hmm. So for me, I see it as a win. Now, my question is, (laughs) why can't black people be happy for black people? But Okay, so let's take the individual out because people have feelings about him before this even happened, right? So I guess like like Jason was saying about his attitude or whatever. So let's take it out. Let's just say a hypothetical individual. One, as was stated, this hypothetical individual only got to where they can go because an HBCU gave them a chance. So my question is, if your definition of success is finally reaching the white school and not definition of success of building something, then how will we ever get beyond the point of the current disparity? And that's so let me why ask you it's this. emotional. But that's why it's let, emotional for me. Can, can I play the opposite side for radio? Sure. If a black hip hop rapper who was brought up in the hood, and that's all he knows is doing concerts in the hood, and he finally gets the break to do concerts and make more money doing the same music going to white venues because they they white people buy hip hop music too actually more is than he, black people for the record but go ahead is he a sellout so here's my thing that's apples and oranges that that is like that rapper didn't say that they were coming out to build something like most rappers talk about all they want to do is make money and so i don't i don't necessarily see that as the same as someone who can actually build a program and talk about disparities to me it's not that i don't respect rapping but it's like that their definition of success of course is more money half the times with you know women that don't look like us i mean like the definition of success that most heterosexual cisgendered rappers talk about is that monetary ascension. So I don't understand that as a direct correlation to what we're talking about as far as the educational opportunities at an HBCU and building out so, those, those differences. 
So is it then that for the HBCU community, you you wanted him to build up HBCUs or did you, or, or is it, we need you to help build black people? Because from my vantage point, he can still build black people where he's going. No, but me, is this an HBCU thing or is this a black people thing? So two things, whether he goes to a white school or a black school has nothing to do with the majority of black people's lives. This is, I think, more conjecture and hypothetical philosophizing, right? But like from the HBCU perspective, not black people, HBCU perspective, if um, like, let's say Morehouse, right? If Morehouse had the opportunity to have the athletic program that other schools have, the academics is there. If you meet a Morehouse man or a Spelman woman, you know the academics are there. But a lot of the better players will not go get that academic experience because of the everything that we just said. So that's what I'm saying. A lot of us feel, even though we understand it, we're happy for him. Like that aside, if everybody leaves once they get good, then how do you get to the next level? And yeah, so, I think that I think that analogy crosses a whole bunch of intersections. I was just gonna say, and, I'm like and that. I know why, and I know white people don't have that same responsibility, but white people also do not have that same community of experiencing systems that are set up to continue to disenfranchise. So the, the challenge that comes with that, though, and I really do understand what you're saying, but the challenge that comes with that is when we hold PWIs to task on the fact that they don't have black head coaches, where do they get them from? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, so in order for us to start challenging the leadership, if we're going to have, look at it from that perspective, but in order for us to start challenging the representation of women and men of color in positions of power in these entities, where will they get those people from? And, and the reality is most of the time when they come to get the best and brightest, they're coming to HBCUs. That's where they fish, you know, like, so they, and that is a problem, but it's a, but it's a, but it's a reality. So here's the thing. So then let's, 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 let's agree that it is a problem. But my question then becomes where do you, if we're going to say that real D E and I would have the same representation just for the sake of this conversation, conversation, if 13% of America roughly are people of color, and specifically black people. But if 13% of America is that, and you're watching all of these major multi-million dollar, billion dollar entities have 0.2% people of color in positions of leadership, and we're calling them to task on that. And we're saying that you, your, your leadership should represent the community that patronizes you or, or that you serve. And we say, we expect to see this by 2030. We expect to see 13%. And the, the entity says, we will commit to that. Where do they go find that talent though? See it? They're going to find that but, talent but in that's places. Not that's not reality. 
But it, but it is though. Like it's, it's not reality because you're assuming a that that policy would ever change through a current system. Like I've sat in the rooms where the conversations are happening on how we're gonna fund schools and how Norfolk State and how Virginia State have been treated historically by Virginia. Like in the budgeting process, if I don't stay there and have that conversation, it will continue to happen. So, so this this idea of like that they're going to change. Why are we going to sit around and wait for a system to change? Because no. it's not going to. Yeah. So, so let, let me let me go back to let me go back to Dion no, for one second. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Let go me ahead. go back to Dion for one second. Because and y'all help me correct me if I'm wrong here. I never heard Dion say I am here to change all of HBCU football. Mm-hmm. I never heard him say that. I heard him say he wants to make Jackson State better. And a rising tide does lift all boats. So could it have been that once Dion made Jackson State better, I'm just asking the question, that there was a hope by the HBCU community that what you did for Jackson State, you can do for all of us? Because I never heard him say, I'm here for all the HBCUs. He never went to one. So why, why would we expect him to be the savior of an HBCU, of all HBCUs. As a matter of fact, when he played uh, Grambling, uh, the coach there, Eddie Robinson Jr., they got into it at the end of the game, and the coach said, you ain't sweat. You you ain't even sweat. He tried to say to Dion, you ain't even about this life. So there was already jealousy that Dion was successful, an outsider coming in and dominating uh, in the HBCU community. So y- y'all help me understand so, what, so what, what that, that to me in and of itself is the part that's problematic. It's the entire paradigm where the ascension or definition of success is outside of quote unquote our own when we can't even take care of our own first. And that's, that's what is problematic for me. The, the reason why HBCUs started is because of the same systems that are keeping them underfunded today. And I just, I will continue to ask, and not Dion himself, because no, he didn't say it. My, my question really is, why, do, why does it continue to be that success is within their paradigm? Why is success not defined as building or helping like, I, I don't I don't understand how we don't see that as problematic when a lot of other conversations that we've had is always take care of home first. But it doesn't so, apply to this because he gets to make a lot of money. No, but I'm, I mean, I'm, but, I'm home, be re- but home costs money. You know what I'm saying? Like, so uh, so I'll just be if we take it out of Dion, just for the sake of this conversation, I get so much flat about who I do business with sometimes. And I don't mean as in I'm doing business with people who don't care about that black. That's not what I mean. But that. There are people who say that like, well, with the level of success or such and such that you've achieved, you know, why don't you just do that in these very black areas? Why don't you just focus on these da 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 da? Why don't you just, and the reality is that I would not be able to afford to do the things that I do silently for folks 
if I was actually only working in those spaces. I wouldn't be able to afford to. I wouldn't be able to send other people, children to school. I wouldn't be able to take care of folks that are sick whose parents did not bother to get a life insurance policy. And I'm talking to all Black people. I wouldn't be able to employ as many Black single moms as I get to employ. I wouldn't be able to take care of these kids with parents who are incarcerated. I wouldn't be able to afford any of the ways in which I get to serve my people that never gets public attention because of the kinds of business that I take on. And so there are those who have said to me, and I'm not, I, I can't speak for Dion, but I'm just saying, I have had the experience of folks being like, girl, you, you should be doing such and such and such. And with that kind of education, you should be in blah, 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 blah. And all the boxes they want to put me in would mean I wouldn't be able to take care of black people. So like, I, I, I have a different perspective about what it takes to be able to afford to do things. I could fund people's campaigns and I could do, I could do stuff because of the decisions that I made. But my heart was about having enough money to take care of folks who deserve to be taken care of, who can't afford to do it any other way. So I utilize those opportunities to be able to be a resource for my community, but I couldn't do it without money though. See it? Like I, there's no way for me to do it. So, so let me ask you this, uh, Tom. Let me ask you this because I, I feel, for me personally, I feel a Bishop Ray spirit now. Can Can Dion go to Colorado and still be able to take care of HBCU? Still be able to take care of the Black community? I sense that it's an either or feeling here. Either you stay with us and you build or you are a sellout for leaving. And I don't buy there, into the either or. Yeah, like I, I don't I, buy into that at all. I don't even think the issue is about taking care of Black people. I think it's what he represented for us while he was at Jackson State. He represented a face for athletics at a superior level because at HBCUs, we were typically underfunded. Um, the more um, higher quality or caliber um, players were going to predominantly white universities because of opportunities that they did not see they would be able to have at HBCUs. And so when he started attracting those particular players, when he started attracting the media coverage that he was getting that he would typically get at a predominantly white university, I think he began to, uh, he began to be the face of excellence at an HBCU that we had not seen in athletics, at least not in my generation. And so as a result of that, I think his leaving is not just about he can't take care of Black students or he can't take care of HBCU. It's his leaving says, you have rejected us. And not only have you rejected us, what you begin to start or what you begin to build Who's going to take on that mantle? There's a void now. And who's going to take on that mantle? And so people are feeling a loss. They're feeling a loss. And here's the thing about us that we don't talk about. We don't do hurt well. We do angry well. So we can talk about being angry, but we don't talk about being hurt. We don't talk about being rejected. We don't talk about feeling a loss. We don't talk about feeling a void, but we could talk about, I'm mad at you. I'm angry at you. I'm offended at you. We do that very well. That's because, 
That's because it is not socially acceptable to be weak, especially for us as a community of color, which is why we misdiagnose our men of color and we call them angry when in fact they're depressed. But anger is a stronger emotion socially. And men are often misdiagnosed with with anger issues when it's actually depression because trauma can show up through anger rather than crying. So we, 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 we struggle with being able to show tears and to say that we feel weak or vulnerable or hurt. It's, it's easier to lash out, but we misdiagnose our young black men all the time as a result of that very reason, but and but that's psychology. But go ahead. I'm sorry, but that's I just, sorry, for the record. I just good. want to say that the first thing I said was I'm hurt. <laughs> you did, you did. No, but th- but that comment wasn't you for did. you, Sia. No, 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 no. I know. I'm just I'm yeah. just adding to the fact that it is about being hurt. Like it that is exactly what it is. But I I still I still posit for the sake of conversation. Okay, let's take for granted the fact that HBCUs will now be the incubators for Black coaches to go be bigger and better and make more money. Then pay the incubators. All all I'm saying saying is if we don't do something differently, then... Alvin is going to, like, if we don't do something systemically different, different, they're going to continue to be people that Alvin needs to help go to school because they can't afford it. But nobody is with me on, like, but we got to change the system if we want it to be different as opposed to one at a time going up. When are we going to get it together and fight back against the system that is keeping us, us in status quo? Well, listen, I'm glad you said that. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you actually said that. Mm-hmm. Because two points to that, see, in the athletic world, even PWIs, lower level PWIs, are feeder schools for coaches to go up to. So that's nothing new. Okay. Yep. Both sides do the same thing. Okay. There, there are three reasons why a kid picks a school. Number one is the coach. Will the coach help me to go pro? Number two is playing time. How soon can I play? And number three, nowadays, is exposure to TV and NIL, for those who don't know, name, image, and likeness money, Mm -hmm. that before you couldn't pay players, but now you can. Mm -hmm. You can pay players to come to your school. So let me just say a couple of things about HBCUs. I believe that there's never been a better time for HBCUs than now. And this has nothing to do with Dion. Mm -hmm. Because if you notice the NBA, led by Chris Paul, has created these HBCU showcases during NBA All-Star Weekend, where they're specifically bringing in HBCU uh, basketball and putting them on major television networks to promote and bring exposure to these kids. The NFL has now decided to do an HBCU Pro Day, whereas before uh, Black kids couldn't get seen because they didn't have access to a Pro Day like the white schools, now they do. These two things had nothing to do with Dion. Stephen A. Smith on ESPN, he makes it a point every Friday during the football season to go to an HBCU to highlight what HBCUs are doing. HBCUs are on TV, ESPN networks more than they have ever been. Here's the problem. Now boosters have got to step up and start putting more money into the school because kids ain't coming to the school 
if you ain't giving them no money. And the coach ain't got that kind of capital to say, except for, you know, Dion was the rare one to get you to come with no money. Most black kids ain't coming if you ain't got something to offer. Mm -hmm. So that's the difference. Now it's time for HBCU to say, okay, yes, I understand, Marcia, your point, the legislation and all of that that prohibits black schools from getting same access to money. I got that. But when it comes to athletics, everybody in athletics knows boosters are the ones that make the difference. So now alums, I'm just going to ask you all the question. How much do you give to your athletic program? <laughs> alums, how often do you go to the games and pay to go in? No, not asking for a hookup. Alums, how often do you go to a road game? Because why would ESPN show a half-empty stadium of a football game or a right. basketball game? Right. Can so, I answer that question? I'm playing yes. basketball alums. So. <laughs> I need that Supreme Court to come through on this forgiveness. I, I, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, if how many alums I don't know how many HB, I don't know how many alums Hampton has. Right. But however many alums Hampton has, if they gave two, three, four, five hundred dollars to the athletic program, now what can happen? Fair enough. This is this is economics, man. This is this is dollars. This ain't about sports. This is about boosters. This is about money. This is about how you attract kids. Now, H, you got a great basketball facility mm -hmm. when the last time it's been sold out mm -hmm. that ain't got nothing to do with Dion. Mm -hmm. that ain't got nothing to do with legislation see when was the last time at hbcu back uh, hampton university basketball game at the convocation center which is a beautiful facility mm -hmm. one of the best in the state when the last time it's been sold out so if we're going to have this conversation, then let's really have the conversation and not just, just blame Dion because he left for greener pastures. But what are we doing? What are alums doing to support your school? Well, you know what? Except that we only have 30 seconds left. We will say, though, that is going back to Sia's point from a systemic issue. It is both internal and external. Right. Because even internally, and we've talked about it on this show, how quickly the dollar leaves the black community is part of our psychology issue as well. So we don't no, not only do we not have enough funding coming in that is due us, we don't even take what we have on the inside and keep it on the inside for more than one transaction before it is straight out of our community. So and that ain't Dion's fault. Yeah, it's. <laughs> And see, it's like I'm not saying it's his fault. I'm talking about the biggest. I just want to. I just want to be clear that we have said the same thing because I'm just talking about the causes of how we got to the stuff that y'all are describing. We may have we to got to run. So y'all, we out of time. Yeah, we, we got to run. Until yeah. next time, y'all. We love the show. Love y'all. Be blessed and be a blessing to someone else. This is Smooth 88.1 WHOV iHeartRadio right here, y'all. Facebook Live.